And I would ask the rest of us to take our copy of God's Word, whether that be on paper or electronically, and turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I always, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm not old school. I'm old school for the century I guess I live in or the time that I live in. Um, that I, I like the you like paper, you know. A lot of people like electronic, but I like the paper just because I've been so used to it. And, um, but I would say this, and, and I know this is not a case here at our church. Um, the paper that the Word of God is written on is worth just as much as the paper that any book is written on. It's not about the paper, it's about the Word. And if we want to get real technical, none of us has an original manuscript, do we? None of us has, has, has a Bible on papyri, which is it's really, that's why there's not a lot around, it's hard to preserve. None of us has that. So I know that's not an issue here, but sometimes, oh, it's got to be in paper. Well, I mean, your paper's like, the paper I've got in my Bible now is way better than the one I had when I was little. All right? So it's not about the paper. It's about the word that God has given and transmitted throughout the ages. So whether you have a paper copy or electronic copy, you might have the whole thing memorized. That'd be even better, probably. Um, uh, we're, we're glad you got a copy of God's word. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning in Acts 16 and continuing our series in the book of Acts. I will say this. We'll finish Acts much quicker than we finished John. I think in the passage that Jonathan read this morning in the Gospel of John, I, I did five sermons in that one chapter. So you'll be thankful that we're not going to take as long in Acts. But uh, we're going to finish the rest, the Lord willing, finish the rest of chapter 16 this morning, beginning in verse 11 through verse 40. And the title of the message this morning is, The Lord Builds His Church. The Lord Builds His Church. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him uh, to do what only He can do. Lord, we come to this time each Sunday where we gather together to worship you together after a week of worship. And we come on this first day of the week to not only worship you in song and prayer, but now we come to this time where we worship you through your word as we get to know you better. So, Lord, we are at your mercy to open our hearts and our minds to understand what you would say about yourself in this passage, what you would say about us, and how you seek to make us more like Jesus. So, Lord, do a work in us this morning that can only be explained by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, most of you have heard people, and maybe you've uh, used these words before, you refer to the, the local church as my church. Ever heard that? And maybe you can use that. This is my church, right? And this is not bad when used, the word my church is not bad when used in the right context and in the right way, but it can be used in a very negative way. For instance, some people, not here, would ever say this, okay? Some people might say this, this is my church, and we will not have people like that coming in here. Or, this is my church, and we've always done it this way, and we're going to continue doing it this way. And I'm not talking about foundational issues, I'm talking about preference issues. Uh, this is my church, we've always had green shag carpet, and we're always going to have green shag carpet in our church building. This is my church, and we have always started the morning worship at 10.45 a.m., and until the Lord returns that holy hour of 10.45 a.m., we'll continue at my church. Now we laugh, and hopefully we've never said anything just like that, but maybe we said something similar to that. We've heard people say something similar to that. Or this is my church, and I love this one, and I've always sat in this seat. <laughs> and I always will. 
Now, I'm thankful that spring break right now, and we have a lot of people gone, probably coming back today from spring break, and we didn't have to fight over as many seats today, and um, nobody took your seat. And I love watching this every Sunday morning. We're all creatures of a habit. You know, I sit right here every time. You know that. But if somebody came and sat in my seat, I would probably, oh, it's my seat, right? In my, my church, right? Um, but uh, it's always fun to watch new people get here early like they should, <clears throat> and all the rest of us come in late. <laughs> And somebody took my seat, and you can see them, they're panicked. Somebody took my seat. Um, but uh, my church, you get the picture, obviously. But the ultimate reality is that this is not my church, this is not your church, and this is not even our church. This is the Lord Jesus Christ church. This is his church. And it's not we who build the church, it's he who builds his church. And I'm so thankful for that because if it depended on me, if it depended on you to build his church, there would be no church. Buildings all over the world, open fields where churches meet, would all be empty if it was up to us to build his church. Jesus made this clear in Matthew 16, 18, as he said, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, and he's talking about Peter's profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The Lord Jesus, we see in this passage, has promised to build his church, and he never breaks his promise. And not only has he promised to build his church, he's promised to protect his church. So nothing will overtake his church. The church will last. Because the Lord of the church, capital L, is building and persevering and protecting his church. Isn't that good news? Now look around us. We're all concerned it's an election year, right? And we're looking at the choices. And just quite honestly, we probably agree we don't have a lot of great choices. In fact, I'm more disappointed in people who I thought were going to be a great choice in the last few weeks than I've ever been probably in any candidates. It's just sad. But it won't hurt the church if you're worried. Oh, gosh, what are we going to do if we get one of these guys to be presidents or one of this lady be a president? What are we going to do? I can promise you this. The Lord's not wringing his hands. He's not sweating because he is going to build his church. He is building it and he will build his church until he comes. No sweat for the Lord Jesus Christ to build his church. And the Lord has, we've seen him build his church and we've seen this throughout the book of Acts. And that's really what it's about, is the Lord building his church. And we see in Acts 1-8, when Jesus commissions the disciples before he ascends to heaven, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. He commissioned. This is also, remember, the outline of the book of Acts. And we've seen this uh, go as we've gone through the first 16 chapters and 11 verses. We've seen it lived out, and we've seen Jesus build his true ch- church in Jerusalem. And we've seen him build his church in Judea. And we've seen him build his church in Samaria. And now we're in that part of Acts where he is building his church in the remotest part of the earth. See, the Lord Jesus will build his church. He is building his church. It cannot fail. So we're going to pick back up here in last where we left off in Acts 16. And and I'm going to walk down through this passage of Scripture, the rest of the the chapter, and explain some things and point out some things. And I'm going to come back and just overview some things that are 
hopefully implications that we can put into practice in our life. So let's again be reminded of the context before we dive in here. Um, Paul and Barnabas, uh, we saw in our last uh, passage of scripture that we talked in the last part of Acts 15 and into the early part of Acts 16, they've had a little falling out. They've argued about whether John Mark should go on this second missionary journey with them. Um, For good reason, John Mark deserted them on the first one and and, um, Barnabas was John Mark's cousin and thought he he needed to go along and Paul said no way at a division and all of a sudden we have two missionary teams now. Now remember God is not intimidated by our sin. He can build his church with or without us. He, he can build his church and overcome the sin that's even in our life. And Now that's not a, a license to sin. Um, Paul and, and, John and, and Barnabas were in sin here. I believe we looked at that last week. But God overcame that and still used him. Now he's going to spread the gospel in a greater way and in a more rapid way by having two teams. So let me go ahead and show you this map here again. There we go. All right. I'll, I'll start on this side this time. I started there last time. All right. So we see they split up here. And here's Antioch where they're at. And, and what happens is that um, uh, Barnabas and John Mark go back to uh, Cyprus here. Okay. And we, we lose track of them for a while. But then what happens here is we have Barnabas and si- I mean Barnabas, Paul and Silas head up this way. And they go back and they're starting to visit the churches that Barnabas... All right, they start here in Antioch that, that Barnabas and Paul planted all through the Galatia region here. All right? And that's what's, what's happening. They split up, and now there's two teams, and one goes southwest to Texas. I'm kidding. To Cyprus. All right? And the other goes northwest, um, obviously, Paul and Silas, and that's where we pick up uh, with uh, the second missionary journey. And we saw in the first part of chapter 16 that uh, they picked up a guy, young man named Timothy. And I love this phrase about Timothy we saw. He was well spoken of by the brethren. Oh, man. If somebody could say that about me. What a, what a blessing. What a compliment that he was well spoken of. And, 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 and Paul saw that in him. Remember, Paul had visited there before. And he had gotten beaten up for his preaching the gospel. Dragged out of town. Left for dead. He gets back up and walks back into town. And I believe that Timothy saw that. And I believe that God used that to awaken Timothy's heart to the gospel. Because later on, when he writes to Timothy in both of his epistles, he calls him my true child in the faith. That he had heard the gospel and changed. So he picks up Timothy, and he and Silas take Timothy with them on this second missionary journey. What a privilege for Timothy to be a part of this. So the the Lord, uh, at the end of this, he gives Paul a vision, and we've seen that we saw throughout this that God was giving, directing him to his will. Now, they were walking, kind of coming along through here, and Paul goes, hey, I want to go south. You know, I'm kind of a southern guy anyway, and God says, no. Well, how about go north to Bithynia? Nope, keep heading west, all right? And, and, and the Lord just keeps pushing them west. They can't go north to Bithynia. They can't go south down here where you see Smyrna and Ephesus and, and Colossae and all these regions. He keeps moving them to the west and makes it clear, don't go to the north, don't go to the south, but go to the west. And then if you see in verses 9 and 10, um, I'll pick back up there with you. You look, you look in your copy of God's Word. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appearing, appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So God made it clear where he was supposed to go to take the gospel. And that's where we pick back up here in verse 11. So look there with verse 11 with me. So putting out to sea... 
from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and on the day following to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. So you see here again, just so we see where we're at, we start at Troas, they go to Samothrace, which is actually, um, they have, there's, a, there's it's like a big mountain that juts up out of the water. It's 5,000 foot in altitude. They stay there one night, then they go to Neapolis, which is the port of Philippi. So you see that, here we go. Troas, Samothrace, and then to Neapolis and then to Philippi. Now you're going, why does he keep pointing the map? It's so important for us to see what God's getting ready to do. Because the gospel at this point has only been to Asia. We saw it get to Ethiopia, to Africa, right? In, in, in Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And now we're going to see the gospel get where? To Europe. Because God promised he was going to build his church. And we see in Revelation it's going to be a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So here we go. The gospel's getting to Europe. Um, now notice in verse 11, just to, just to briefly want to point this out. It says, so putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course. We. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. So here we have Paul and Silas and Timothy, and now Luke joins them. And we don't know exactly why. Uh, Luke was a doctor. We do know that. And maybe because of all Paul's illnesses, which you also know Paul struggled with different illnesses, maybe uh, they, they picked up Luke along the way for a kind of personal doctor, uh, for the missionary doctor. We don't know exactly why, but we know, now Luke is joining them. This is one of many we passages in the book of Acts. So we have four guys on this missionary team. And just so you know, and we, we, I preached through the book of uh, Philippians a few years ago. And uh, so we studied a lot about Philippians. We actually spent a lot of time in this chapter as well. But it was under the rule of Rome and was a Roman colony. You see that it's mentioned that it, uh, it's a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. They had all the privileges of Rome. And in some ways, uh, Philippi was like a mini Rome, more than any other little colony in the Roman Empire because of its closeness to the water and also the way that people would travel north and south through Philippi. So it was a very uh, um, eclectic kind of uh, city and had all kinds of people coming from all over the Roman Empire. So it was very well thought of um, and it, it very important for us to see that as Paul now is taking the gospel to Europe. Now let's look at beginning now in verse 13 and see what happens in this little, no not little town, but this city of Philip. I'll be reading verses uh, 13 down through verse 15. Follow along with me. On the Sabbath day, we went outside of the gate at, to, to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon, this, uh, upon us. Now, if you remember, um, up to this point, when Paul goes into a city, where does he go first to proclaim the gospel? He goes to a synagogue where the Jews would have been meeting, who would be very familiar with the, 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 the scripture, the Old Testament scripture, which he was familiar with, and he, of course, was a Jew, um, and that's where he went. But he doesn't go to a synagogue here. There isn't a synagogue in Philippi. You know why? You need 10 men to have a synagogue. There's not 10 Jewish men in the city of Philippi who want to worship the Lord. 
So there's no synagogue. So he goes to the next place, a place of prayer along water here. And if there wasn't a synagogue, in history it shows if there was a synagogue, uh, people met um, at, at, for a place of prayer along um, a place of a body of water so they could do their ceremonial cleansing next to the water. That's why, and that's where he, that's why he, he, he goes and supposing that there would be a place of prayer. He's expecting to be a place of prayer by this riverside. And he sat down and began to speak to the women who had assembled. So it's just a bunch of women. There's no mention of one man in this passage. It's a bunch of women getting together to pray. Because the sorry men in the city weren't following God. Hmm. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? All through the scripture often we see that. Sorry men. Nobody in here, though, all right? But that's what happens. He goes. It's just women. And, 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 and the Lord, through Luke, decides to zero in on one particular woman, a woman named Lydia. Now, Lydia was from Thyatira, and this is interesting, too. Thyatira is in the region of Bithynia. And the Lord said, don't go to Bithynia, didn't he? Why? Because he was wanting him to meet this lady from Bithynia, from Thyatira in Europe. Amazing. Would the gospel ultimately get to Bithynia? Yeah, and maybe it got there through Lydia. We don't know for sure. But he didn't, didn't want he didn't it wasn't he wanted to get didn't get the gospel there. He wanted to get the gospel, but he had his way to get the gospel to Bithynia. Well, not only was she from Thyatira, but she was also a businesswoman. Notice that she was a seller of purple fabrics. And that purple fabrics were known to come out of Bithynia, that region. Had some, some different, um, uh, like, nut shell. Actually, it was shell that had the, the purest form, some kind of shell that had the purest form of purple dye anywhere in the world at the time. At least that's, what they th that's, what they, that's all they knew. And so if you wanted to have a great purple garment, sometimes like Pete, like you wear, all right, like you all dress up in those purple garments, you all looking good. Uh, if you want to have a good purple garment, you would go to Bithynia somewhere. And, and she had made a business out of uh, being a seller of a purple fra fa fabric. So she was a businesswoman. And she was also a Gentile. This is what it says. She was that, that she a, celebra, a worshiper of God. Okay, she was a worshiper of God. She is someone who was a Gentile who adopted, in a sense, the God of Israel, Yahweh. She was a worshiper of Yahweh. And we know that, obviously, because it's mentioned here. And it says she was listening as Paul began to, to talk to the ladies who were gathered there. And notice what happened again. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, you all know how much I love this passage of Scripture and how often I bring it up. I don't know of a better description of what happens to someone when they're given new birth. But the Lord opened her heart. And if you know the Lord Jesus here this morning, it's only because the Lord opened your heart. There's no other way that someone becomes a child of God except that the Lord would open our hearts. It's beautiful. Because the scripture doesn't say that we seek after God. We don't seek after God first. It says in Romans 3.11, it says that there is none who seeks God. And you all know what that word none means in the Greek, right? It means what? None. Alright, it means none. None seek after God. That's the Old Testament quote. 
None. No one's ever, not only do they not want to seek after God, they're not able to seek after God. There's an inability to do so. So the Lord must break through and open their heart and our response is always a response to his opening of our heart. And see, that way, we can take no credit. We can't take any glory. As we read later in one of Paul's epistles, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved, right? And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. So we can't say, well, I'm a Christian just because I'm smarter than everybody else. I'm a Christian because I grew up in this family. I'm a Christian because, no, you're a Christian because it's by grace the Lord opened your heart. And then you responded to his opening of your heart and embraced his son. And that's exactly what happened here to Lydia. Isn't this beautiful? What well, amazing. Now, the Lord had obviously been doing something in her life already, right? She's become a worshiper of God. She is seeking the, in, in, in her own way the, the God of Israel, what she knows. But she didn't know the true God yet. She didn't know the, all that God done. She didn't know the gospel. And God brought it to her. Even after she had moved away from a place that God told at that time, Paul, don't go there. He had put her right in Philippi by that river with those ladies worshiping the Lord. And Paul shows up with the gospel. I love that. One day God opened my heart. And I'm eternally grateful. And those of you who have had your heart opened by the Lord, you'll never forget it. Because you're changed forever. Just like Lydia. Well, the very next thing that she does... Look at her response. He opened her heart. Respond, and then she and her household had been after they'd been baptized. She was baptized. She understood that baptism was like a wedding ring. All right. Now I'm married to my wife, and this wedding ring doesn't make me married to my wife, but it shows everyone else that I'm married to my wife. It's got a picture right there of John L. I'm kidding. It shows that I'm married. All right. It shows, it shows that, right? And bad, if I was ashamed of my wife, I'd do like a bunch of sorry men do, right? When they go out of town, they take their wedding ring off. There's a problem in there. You never don't do that. So when, you, when, you're, when you're, in a sense, when you come into relations with God, he opens your heart. The new birth happens. The water isn't magic. There's nothing magic about the water, but he has commanded us. The first reason we do it is because Jesus commanded us to do so, right? And, and we want to be obedient. And what the fruit of having her heart open is her desire to be obedient. And Paul must have explained to her like he had done before that the Lord wants you to be baptized as an outward sign of the inward change. As a symbol that you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. And what does Lydia do? She's baptized. And, and, and her household, people who were living in her household, other people heard and responded. God opened their heart and they were baptized as well. And then look what she did. She urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful, and that word faithful is from the root word pistos, where we get the word believe or faith, faith, faith just the word faith, all right? And, and you could even, she's, she's speaking of, you've judged me to be a true believer in Jesus Christ, to, to be faithful to the Lord in his call in my life, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And they stayed. Hospitality. It's a fruit to, to, to want to reach out to other believers and have them stay, have them be a part of your life. It's a fruit that God had worked something in her life. You don't see her come, the Lord open her heart, and she respond to the things that, say, that Paul has said, and she turns from trusting herself and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, her Savior, and see no fruit. In fact, you won't ever see that in the Scripture. There's always fruit. You say, well, how about the criminal on the cross? Here's the fruit of the criminal on the cross. He believed. And if he would have lived after that, there would have been more fruit. 
He stood up for Jesus on the cross, showing that he had believed. There was fruit. There was evidence that the Holy Spirit lived inside of the criminal on the cross, lived inside of Lydia. There is fruit. Praise God. And many of you in here know that. You know that when the Lord opened your heart and he gave you new life, there was evidence, right? I can't help but go ahead and tell this again. Because um, I actually talked to my good friend Chuck Mork this past week. And Chuck Mork was one of our original elders. Tremendous teacher. Um, in fact, uh, um, I was listening to one of his sermons a couple weeks ago that he had done here years ago. Just because I love to hear Chuck teach. Very gifted. And now he's up in Iowa and using his chemical knowledge to help a, a company up there. But um, uh, Chuck uh, would always say this about uh, what God does in us. He said he would go on a business trip every once in a while with Dow. And one time they went to, I guess, Southern California, but maybe made it, made it over to Mexico. And one of the guys that went with him always bragged about all the hot food that he could eat. I can eat the hottest food. Just give me the hottest pepper. It won't even faze me. So they tell the, wait, the, the, the waiter at this Mexican restaurant to go bring the hottest pepper you got in the back. They bring it out. That guy just takes that pepper and goes, and just starts chewing it. And at first, nothing. But it didn't take long. He starts sweating. His eyes get bloodshot. He's grabbing water as fast as he can to try to, to get anything to cool his mouth down. You see, if a pepper can do that to us physically, what do you think the Holy Spirit can do to us when he lives in us? He changes us from the inside out. We can't help but be changed. Lydia, all others who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, he's opened their heart. So let me say this. This is the one I want us to see clearly. The Lord is building his church in Philippi, beginning with a Gentile businesswoman in Europe. You see that? He, he begins in Europe, he begins in Philippi to build his church through a Gentile businesswoman. You see, there's no slave or free or Jew or Greek or male or female, as it says in Galatians 3, but all are one in Christ. He's not a respecter of persons. He didn't start with a guy. He started with a lady here in Philippi. I love it. Now look with me at the next person the Lord uses to build his church beginning in verse 16. We're going to read down uh, through verse 18. Um, right here, verse 16. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divina divination met us. Now it seems that they were going to the place of prayer. This is something that they continued to go down they met. This is a matter of days. Okay, that they kept going back and they met and they were worshiping with these gathered at the river. And it says, we were going to the place of prayer. A slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her at that very moment. I love this. Here we have a demon-possessed girl who was being used for profit uh, by these men in Philippi as she came around and she would tell fortunes. And obviously they were coming true. These were real demon possession. And, and so they would say, you want your fortune told? Slap down how much money and she'll do it for you. And sure enough, it seems like that's what she was doing. They were making a profit for, off of her. And it seems that she was doing this. And every time Paul and this missionary team would show up, she's crying out and saying, hey, giving evidence of who they were. They're, they're worshipers of the Most High God. And they kept saying, and Paul, it's, it's interesting, he got annoyed. Okay, I, we're done with this, okay? 
We're, we're done with this. And Jesus did the same thing when they would go, you're the Christ. And he would cast the demon out. Sure enough, look what he says. Notice how he cast the demon out. In the name of Jesus Christ. Boom. In the name of Jesus Christ. You can even see, obviously he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be gone. Come out of her. And immediately it was out of her. It, it, it's also insinuated here. And as we'll see um, through, the, through the rest of the passage. This girl then comes to faith in Jesus Christ. The demon goes out of her. The spirit of divination goes out of her. And the Holy Spirit comes in. This demon possessed girl. Who is being used by others. It will now be used by the Lord Jesus Christ. To continue his kingdom. To build the church. Uh, the Lord is again here building his church in Philippi. Not only through a businesswoman. From, from, from the, the, the city of Thyatira. But also from one who was formerly demon possessed. And also a woman. The Lord is building his church. It's evident. Now look at what happens in verse, beginning in verse 19. And we'll go down through uh, 34. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them in the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to, uh, to observe being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore the robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. Let me just say this. They were, this, this beating with rods was something that happened, obviously, in, 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 by the Romans. And uh, you'll see uh, a little bit, uh, you saw this even with Jesus, that Jesus was beaten um, uh, by, by the Romans terribly. And I guarantee you they were good at it. The guys, that, this is where the word lictors comes from. Uh, the, 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 the lictors here were excellent at what they did. And as Paul and Silas, for some reason it doesn't mention Luke and Timothy, maybe because they were Gentiles and they didn't throw them in the prison. That's, that's the, what we get kind of from the text. But here we see that Paul and Silas, their backs are laid bare. And they're thrown into prison with their backs laid bare. Blood everywhere. Skin everywhere. And they're thrown into prison in terrible shape. And then um, again, picking back up in verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Wow. What a response. Now remember that Paul will write a letter to this church, Philippi, later. And it's known as the Epistle of Joy. And he's even writing it, not from the Philippian jail, but another jail when he writes Philippians. But he must have remembered his time in the Philippian jail as his back was laid open. And yet his response, their response, is to sing hymns of praise to God. Why? Because they understood what Paul spoke of in Romans 8.28. That all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And they knew that God had a purpose here, even in their beating and thrown into prison. And, and, and it says that the prisoners were listening to them. Ah, a captive audience. All right, they're in prison. And they're sharing the gospel. They're not looking at themselves. They're looking at what an opportunity. Look at all these people here. 
It's like getting someone in an airplane, right? And they're in the, you're in the aisle seat, they're inside. Uh, captive audience, right? It's a little bit better than being in prison. But here's what they do. They take advantage of that. And suddenly, verse 26, there came a great earthquake. So the foundation of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open. And everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And there's, there's an interesting physical picture of what's getting ready to take place spiritually. Notice that God moved in. He shook the foundations. And immediately all the doors, this is, were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened or unloosed. That's a physical picture of what's getting ready to happen in the heart of the Philippian jailer. He's getting ready to unloose his heart from the bondages of sin. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord broke in physically, and now the Lord's breaking in spiritually again to the heart of this Philippian jailer. Now, let's go on down and see what they said to his response. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, go to church every Sunday, read your Bible, do the abide reading. Is that what it says? That's not what it says at all. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household. And then verse 32, And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Notice that response again to his question, What must I do to be saved? Now you think, well, why would he ask that? Remember, they were singing to God. And I'm sure in those psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that they were singing, he heard the gospel somehow. And he understood that before a holy God, he was sinful. And he was deserving of hell. He was deserving of the judgment and the wrath of God. He knew he w they weren't the ones in prison, but he was. And he cries out, then what must I do to be saved? How can I be made right with God, saved from his just judgment? And they respond, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe. Place, it's again the word pistos, it can be faithful, faith, or believe. It means to trust in. We use the word believe often, and just we believe intellectually in something. And there is that aspect in the Bible. But remember, if you just believe intellectually in, in, in God, then you're only qualified to be a demon. Since it says in James 1, the demons believe, right? So if that's as far as our faith goes, our belief goes, then we're just qualified to be a demon. But the belief here, obviously, he's speaking of a trust and a transfer from his trust in himself to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ so that he built, will be rescued from the wrath to come. And so what I want to see here, we see the Lord breaks in physically. He breaks in spiritually into the life of the Philippian jailer so that he cries out, what must I do to be saved? They say, believe, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And everybody in your household who believes will be saved. 
Now, I want, I want you to see something. This is very, it's just kind of a side point, but it's often used um, uh, by other people to hold up infant baptism. Now, let me be careful here. As I said, be careful, but let me be understanding here. I'm not talking about infant baptism as to baptismal regeneration, that someone is baptized as an infant. Um, and people believe that if they're baptized as an infant, that they're given the Holy Spirit. They're being part of a church in that baptism. Um, that's not taught in the Bible anywhere, okay? Um, other people baptize their child in some ways to bring them into the covenant family, but they understand later they must also, at an older age when they understand, repent and turn to Jesus and trust in him as a Savior, okay? Um, that's not talking about baptism and regeneration. But let me go ahead and say this, that nowhere in the Scripture do we ever see infant baptism. If you'll show me, I'll say this again, I've said this about other things, if you'll show me in the Scripture where it shows, teaches infant baptism, I will eat the page. Because I'm so confident it doesn't teach it. This is one of the passages, one of the very few passages that are used. And it says that, that, that he was baptized, all right, um, there in verse, thir- uh, um, uh, back up here, verse 33, it took them very high, washed them, and, and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. Now, who was baptized? Verse 34, and he brought them into his house and let the food set before them, and he rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. The only ones who were baptized is those who believed. And an infant can't believe. They cannot believe. And this is clear in, 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 in the wording here. It's those who believe were baptized. Not everybody. Not, not, ch- not the children who couldn't believe. But just those who believed. It's a clear statement um, about those who were baptized. Again, those who were baptized are those who believe. Um, and uh, just a side note there, but I just want to point that out to you because it's very important that we, we stick to what Scripture says and try not to read into it. Again, I'm not saying those who believe in infant baptism, not for baptism and regeneration, but those who believe in infant baptism to dedicate a child, that they're going to hell. Don't hear that. If they've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, he says, believe and you will be saved, right? Amen. Baptism is something we do in response to that belief. And many people have not been taught or instructed rightly about that, that, that truth. Um, so we just want to make sure that we're, that, that we're seeing what the Scripture has to say. But the big point here, again, is that the Lord is building His church in Philippi. Now with a Philippian jailer and many people in his household. Probably friends and family. The Lord broke through and brought the earthquake, right? The Lord broke through and He, he, he opened the heart of the jailer. It was the Lord who was building the church. Just like he did with the businesswoman, Lydia. Just like he did with the demon-possessed woman. The Lord was building his church. I'm telling you right now, if we went out there, let's be honest, we went out there and said, okay, let's pick three people to be part of our church to start one. We would not pick a businesswoman from Tower Tower who was a seller of perfect fabrics to be the number one pick. We would not pick a demon-possessed girl, a formerly demon-possessed girl, to be the second pick. And we would not pick a jailer, which was not a, 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 not a great job anyway, being around all the criminals, to be, being around all the criminals, to be the third pick of our church plant, would we? Is that, when, you, when, we when we planted a church, Greg, is that what y'all did? Let's go find these three people and let's plant a church. But that's what they did in Philippi. That's what God did. It was up to us. We would have messed it all up. You see, notice... That there's no kings and no rulers yet in the church of Philippi. Doesn't mean that there won't be, but there's none yet. And notice also that it's not Paul, it's not Silas, it's not Timothy, and it's not Luke who are building the church. It's the Lord who has built the church. The Lord opened her heart. In the name of the Lord Jesus, come out of her. Believe in the Lord Jesus. The Lord is building his church. You can't miss this in this passage. 
It's his church, and he's the one responsible for building it. Now, does the Lord use people? You bet he does. But let me be very careful here. He doesn't need us. Don't ever mistake that the Lord needs you or needs me. He can build his church with others. Now, he chooses to use that, use us, and I, 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 I pray we never get over that. What grace that God would use us. And if we're all honest, without Christ, we're like a Gentile woman from Thyatira. We're like a demon-possessed girl. We're like a jailer who are lost without him. We have no credentials. But graciously, God chooses to use us to build his church. And if he won't use us, he'll use other people. Let's move on here in our passage, 35 through 40. Now, when day came, the chief magistrate sent their policemen saying, release the, those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us in public without trial. Men who are Romans, uh-oh, and have thrown us into prison. And now are they sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. The policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and appealed to them. Man, how the tables have turned here. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. They went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Paul calls upon his Roman citizenship. Why does he do that here? Why didn't you say, you know, let bygones be bygones, release us, let's go. They were all going to release him. So no, 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 no. I wonder why. I believe that Paul did this to make sure the church, and there's men involved now because it's brethren, there's men and women involved in the church now, the major church is make sure the church is meeting in Lydia's house would not be harassed after he was gone. Hey, remember, I'm a Roman citizen. And he walked out, where'd he go? He goes to Lydia's house where the church was meeting. And they knew where he went, I guarantee it. They probably had somebody trailing him. They knew. Why? Because he was more concerned about when he left, what would happen with the church and the believers there because he loved them. And remember, when he wrote his letter to the church at Philippi, he wrote this in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but humility of mind, regard one another as more important yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And Paul modeled that here. He didn't have to call, tell me he was a Roman citizen. He didn't have to say, come and apologize. But he did it, I believe, for the sake of the church. And that's how Paul lived his life. For the sake of the church. For the sake of the church that the Lord Jesus Christ was building and is building in Philippi. What a model Paul is. Well, so what? That's a lot of, that's a lot of information. You're thinking, there's a lot of things we could have dealt with. Yeah, but I wanted us to see what's the emphasis of the passage. What's the emphasis of the book of Acts? It's that the Lord builds his church. And I'm so thankful for that. So, since the Lord builds his church, just let me give you a couple things to, to think about and, and to chew on and then apply. First of all, cry out for him to build his church. Lord, build your church. Please build your church. Yes, the Lord promised to build it, but he uses the prayers of his people. I don't understand all how that happens, but he does. He uses our prayers. We cry out to him, Lord, build your, build your church. And I would call all of us here at Grace to cry out to him, Lord, build your local expression of the church here at Grace. Build it. Bring people to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's see your church expand. Use us.
build your church. Secondly, be used by him to build the church. Remember, he does use people. Be a volunteer. Say, Lord, I, here I am, send me. That's what Isaiah said in chapter six, of, chapter 6 of Isaiah. Here am I, send me. I want to be a part. Use me to build the church. Use me to take the gospel all over this, the Brazosport area. And maybe God would call you to be used in countries all over the place. Like many of the missionaries we support. Cry out to him, Lord, use me. I'm in. I, I, I count. And we can do that in many ways here at Grace. There's many opportunities to do that. Being one of the great ways to be, part, be here on Sunday so we can do the, 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 the y'alls and the one another's here together. And, and, and we can be used in this community, be part of a life group and reach out to our community. Get involved. Be used in the building of the church. Be ready to go where he sends. And remember, it's the Lord who opens the heart. It's the Lord that the evil is cast out. It's the Lord who shakes the earth and shakes the heart of people and looses them from bondage like he did the Philippian jailer. It's the Lord. And he uses his word. Because the first thing that Paul did when he got to town, what? He got with people and he explained his word to them. Well, let me ask this question before I finish this morning. Has the Lord opened your heart? Has he opened your heart this morning? Has he opened your heart to see, I need a new heart. I'll never forget when I came back from my sabbatical. And Brittany Rupley came out the door. And he, her and Clint had been coming for a while. And uh, the first sermon I preached when I came back from my sabbatical, was just, I don't know, six or seven years ago, I can't remember now. Um, Brittany said, Ron, I need a new heart. And the Lord gave her a new heart. And a few months later, she gave Clint, he gave Clint a new heart. I'll never forget that. Do you need a new heart this morning? Do you understand that your heart apart from God is dead? Your heart apart from God is separated from God? Deserving of God's just judgment on your sin? Well, I pray that God would open your heart and you would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved just like the Philippian jailer was. If that's you this morning, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for um, the truth here. Thank you, Lord, that it's you who build your church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh, Lord, give us hope. Well, may we cry out to you to build your church, and we're doing that right now. Collectively, Lord, may individually we cry out to you to build your church. And Lord, may we all volunteer to be used by you to build your church so that you get the glory. So you're about opening the heart and giving new hearts to people all over our community in this world. Lord, build your church, beginning with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.